I'm Gab, he's Jules, blue skies over West London. Uh, what a show, because the Champions League is back. Oh, yes. We'll be looking at both semifinals, we'll have the usual quick hits, all that yeah. stuff you love. But let's start with Real Madrid and Manchester City. Uh, it finishes 1-1, and my Real Madrid supporting friend said, this is great. I love the fact that the away, go- rules are, uh, away goals rule is yeah. gone. Second leg, this is like a final. You go in there, you win this game. Real Madrid by hook or the crook tends to win finals. Yeah. And he's feeling really, really good about himself. Yeah. And Should Man- he be feeling good about himself? And my Man-, Man City friends saying, this is great. Really good result. We take a draw back home. We played well. We didn't give them much, which is what they wanted. And now we go home. In our stadium, we favorite to go through to the final. Which I lo- all I wanted, Gab, I was there. All I wanted, I didn't want a game that was too KG. It was KG. I think the two managers wanted it to be KG. They didn't want to take too many risks. Which in the end, maybe if you were watching on television, you thought the lack of tempo and rhythm was a bit... Maybe it was all too slow, which I, which I completely understand, especially the first half. But it's just perfectly poised for the second leg. And I, saw that, I think that's all what people should care about now, is that we're going to have a hell of a game in that second leg. We had a hell of a game in this first leg. Yeah, but in a and different I, way. Do you know I, what I mean? No, I could be in a different way. I don't blame them about being caged. There's no question. Pep was more cautious than, yeah, yeah, he, sure. than he would normally be. But, like, this is Real Madrid against me. This, this is a Champions League semi-final, right? You're not going and playing an opponent that you're familiar with. You're not playing some mid-table side in England that's already intimidated by you. I think a lot when City play people or when Real Madrid play opponents, they're intimidated, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't expect them to play a million miles an hour, take chances, not when you've got, you know, Vinicius, the fastest thing on two legs. Um, although Kyle Walker, as we found out, yeah. is also pretty quick. Pretty uh, so, yeah, I got no issue with that whatsoever. I did think in the first 20 minutes, and you were there in person, in the atmosphere, I thought to myself, uh-oh, like, how are they going to match uh, Manchester City? Yeah. And they did, and they did with a very simple tactical shift they, Real Madrid started 4-3-3 obviously with, with Rodrigo and, and Vinicius wide um, and he moved Modric essentially kind of in between Stones who, who would step when, when they were in possession Stones would obviously step into midfield as, as we'd mm. seen Stones and Rodri and all of a sudden that really really blunted um, Manchester City's ability to move the ball quickly and, and kind of asphyxiate them the way they had done in the first 20 minutes. Yeah, that's right, Gab. And also Valverde's positioning, dropping next to Cruz, basically, to make a double pivot instead yeah. of just having Cruz as the holding midfielder that worked because, okay, Kevin De Bruyne scored, but apart from the goal, you didn't see much of him because I think Cruz and Valverde did a really good job there. And then for Modric, it made that... City with Stones and Rodri also had to be very careful and the kind of 4-2-3-1 worked better for Real Madrid in the second half where they they were a bit more expensive with the ball and and put City under more pressure than they did in the first half. I mean, the stats of the half-time with the 32% of the ball for Real Madrid, 115 or 125 passes were really low. The XG is 0.06, the Vinicius goal, (laughs) which was crazy at half-time. But you also knew that in the second half, that the second half would be would be different, would be better. And to be fair, I think Real Madrid scored at a moment where City were the better team, and City scored at a moment where maybe Real Madrid were the better team, which again sums up very well the game. It, it certainly happens. Uh, two guys we didn't see much of, 
were the reigning Ballon d'Or mm -hmm. and the guy who scored 51 goals this season, Kareem Benzema and Erling Haaland. Maybe different reasons for those two. We expect them in the second leg to pop up, or or is it just the case that both teams says we can't take a chance with these two guys? No, I think they would have more space, more service in the second leg than they had in the first leg where we said it was a big KG, although Benzema had the header. Second half, Haaland had... The through ball with Alaba, the last ditch tackle from Alaba and, and the one before in the first half on the De Bruyne pass. So it could have been different. But yeah, we kind of, we, we, when we prepared the game and set up the game, we went, oh, it's Benzema v, v Haaland, different profile. But look, blah, blah, blah. One is 22, one is 35, etc. And in the end, that matchup was a bit like, Mwah. so let's hope for better in the second leg. After the first leg, you know, I love the, yeah, my, my percentages. Yeah. Uh, you had City going through, I had Real Madrid going through. How do you Same. say it? My eyes even change. 51-49 or 55-45 if you prefer, like, slightly bigger for City. I'm going to lean Real Madrid again. I can go 51-49 if you like. Yeah. For one very, very simple reason, right? Manchester City are in track to do a treble this season. And it's really difficult to do a treble. Um, I think very few English clubs have done a treble. I think, I, in fact, I'm right Just saying, one. Just the one, right? <laughs> Manchester United. And that was in the last millennium. So... If I ask myself, where are they most likely to derail? I look at who they have in the league. I feel better about their chances of winning the league than I do of winning the Champions League. Yeah. I, yeah, they could lose the FA Cup final, but I think they're overwhelming favorites for that. And so I say, most likely, they're going to go out. If, if they don't win the treble, it's going to happen in the Champions League. And it's either going to happen against Real Madrid or whoever they play in the final. And it's more likely to happen against Real Madrid. <laughs> this is my rationale. That's the Marcotti method. So you don't think City will win the treble this season? I think it's unlikely. It's certainly possible, but I think it's but you unlikely. Don't think so. No, and it's the reason is there's three component parts to winning the treble, right? Yeah. So they have to beat Real Madrid and beat whoever in the final. Yeah. They have to beat Manchester United and they have to uh, win the league, right? Um, but I mean, you can work it out for yourself how likely it is, right? What is the percentage chance that uh, City win the Premier League? I'd say 70%, okay. 30% for Arsenal. And I think, I'll tell you what, I think City will drop points against Everton this weekend. Okay, there's another bold prediction we give you for free, but let's say, sorry, so 70%. Yeah. Uh, what is their percentage chance that they win the FA Cup? I go 60-40, because I, I really believe United over one game can cause them problem by, by defending and not playing much. And what is the percentage chance that they win? 55-45. I believe if they beat Real Madrid, then they're going to win the final, whether it's Milan or Inter in the final. Okay, you say 55%. You said 51% yeah. chance to no, beat Real Madrid. No, I said 51 Madrid. or 55, I said. Okay, I well, said, if you gave them a 55% chance of Real Madrid, then it's a 100% chance that they'll beat whatever team from Milan in the final. Yeah, but, but right now, they haven't beaten Real Madrid yet. So, okay, 55%. Right, okay. So, <clears throat> the way you establish... Yeah. Is you multiply yes. these three percentages together, right? Yeah. And so point 0.7 times point 0.6 times point 0.55, it's around, what, what do you say, 23%? Yeah. Something like that. So it's less than a one in four chance of them winning the, yeah. the, the treble using your percentages, yeah. which yeah. Yeah. mine would be a little bit lower, like I said. But yeah. so. No, I know, I know it's tough. I think, I think they can do it. I think they've got the squad to do it. No, no, I think they can't. Nobody's. Doubting that they can do it, I think more likely than not, winning a treble, especially for an English club, is extremely, extremely difficult. Yeah. Right? But, I, okay. And, and I think we're just taking it for granted. Like, oh, look, they're on track. They'll do it. It's really, really hard. If they do it, no, it's a it tremendous achievement. It's incredible. It's incredible. But I still think that they've got enough to be Real Madrid next week. 
I think in a way for us, for them, for Pep and Carlo and the players, it would have been better to have a two-week two break between the two semi-finals, like, like it used to before. Now, the fact that they're back-to-back, -back, one is a Tuesday, the following one is a Wednesday, there's no time in between. There will be a league game that Real Madrid don't care about, let's be honest here, because La Liga is gone. But City really care about going to Everton on Sunday afternoon. But I think everything the, the City players have in their head right now is that second leg. I can guarantee you they don't care about Everton. Pep is going to say, no, no, it's game after game and we focus on Everton. It's very No, and he's going to rotate heavily, surely. Because that game next week is so huge, so huge for them. And I really think that after what they did at, at the Bernabeu, in the way they didn't give away too much to, to Real Madrid, they were good in position, they defended really well on Vinicius. Of course, he scored. But that's, the, that's only the second goal, I think, in his career outside of the box. So, and again, we said the XG was 0.06. It was right. never going to happen. I don't think the, the XG for De Bruyne's goal was much higher, by the way. No, no, but no, but you've seen more De Bruyne scoring goals like that than Vinicius scoring goals like that, right? Yeah, no, no, I, I, I would agree with that. So I think they defended really well on Vinicius, which I think came to the detriment of what they did with the ball going forward, for sure. Because you was clearly, especially we were quite high right. up at the Bernabeu, and you could see that they were just not not committing too much forward because they knew that as soon as they lost the ball, there would be danger. And by the way, the goal from Vinicius doesn't even come from that. But the run by Kamavinga is so amazing that it just opened up their whole defense and midfield. Uh, the reason, part of the reason I, I'm so excited for the second leg is Manchester City, I think, are a better side than, than Real Madrid. If, if they were in a league, I would expect Manchester City to win it, right? But... And we've talked about this before, matchups. Mm. They match up, Real Madrid match up really, really well with Real Madrid, so with, uh, with, with City, because of, the, because of the characteristics they have. You, we, we, you mentioned Vinicius there, right? Vinicius forces Pep to yeah. disrupt the way he plays. And I don't know, is Nathan Aka going to be fit for the, for the return leg? So, yeah, yeah. Then you have another call to make, because I presume you keep Walker in the side, right? Yeah. But then that means for now at least, Manchester City aren't allowed to play with 12 players. So I'm assuming, does Akanji go out? Do you yeah, bring, do you bring so. Ake back in? Again, that's a disruption. That's a change. Um, the goalkeepers, you go back to this, Ederson can, on his day can be a phenomenal goalkeeper. I think Courtois, though, is on a different level. Mm. And, and he's shown it, and he's done it before. Benzema didn't show up. Benzema yeah. is is an unusual. He's got an unusual skill set, right? Uh, that's something to think about. It was Guy very important sometimes to beat the press, though. Not that City pressed too crazy for the reasons that right. we mentioned already, but when they did, Benzema dropping in midfield, getting the ball. I mean, the first. You might have not liked the game because you thought it was too cagey and with the players on the pitch. I think some Who people didn't like the game. No, no, because I think maybe some some people expected before the game to have this incredible match where you would attack and attack and with this and in the end especially the first half when a team has 32% of the ball gap and they're playing at home with the players that Real Madrid have it's not it's, it's not the other team's attacking no no but still but I, mean, but I think some people wanted maybe right. a, a more of an open game which I can really understand however the technical level of that game was just out of this world and Benzema's first touches through the whole game was just incredible. No, and I think it's also a big thing too that players like Kroos and Modric, you know, they can't do it week in, week out at the level they used to. Mm. But for a one-off game with the adrenaline, with the uh, horse placenta in Modric's uh, case, yeah, of, of course, course. Um, you know, 
they can they can achieve tremendous things yeah. and that's what makes i think this game so interesting so exciting i a couple other things in the game i want to touch upon um one uh real madrid very angry carlo very angry very got booked angry. as well the fact that the brian is bo- a, a goal the ball went out of play um you know me i love carlo but i don't know you can get angry with the linesman for give, for not seeing the throw in, but you can't get angry with VAR or the referee. I think the referee has no vantage point whatsoever to be able to determine whether the ball went out of play. Mm. VAR cannot intervene because so much happened between that and the goal. I mean, twice they recovered the ball, so twice they lost it. Yeah, it's not like you can so rewind the tape back 20 yeah. minutes. But the, the linesman, the only thing I would say is because when we were we didn't see a replay until really late, and then suddenly we didn't see what I think being sport had with the line and the ball from, from above, clearly showing that it was out of play. But the linesman was in a really good position to, to judge it. So he made a mistake yeah. clearly. I think it's, it's a really hard call to make. But, but yeah, I still think that it's a, it's a long shot to blame it on that, to blame the goal on that, basically. No, I, I agree with you. Um, I want to touch upon uh, one of the guys' performance. We're both big Bernardo Silva fans. Mm. I thought his performance, the way he played in this game, this is slightly in keeping with perhaps the more conservative version yeah, of Pep exactly. that we saw. Hmm? But do you think he had a good game? No. No, no. And we said before it made sense to start him because of the pressing, mach- the pressing machine that he is, and we saw that against Bayern. The thing was, they didn't actually press that much because of the more the cautious ball. approach that they had and because they had a lot of the ball. And then he gets beaten. I mean, Kamavinga is his player, really. And the goal, that one-two with Modric, I think Rodri is too high anyway. And then it's a bit too easy for Kamavinga. But yeah, the problem is he didn't really test Kamavinga, who is not left back, enough for my liking that Mares would have done more. And then he leads us nicely onto Pep not making any changes, which he did in Leipzig, if you remember, for the last 16 first leg, where where he was 1-1 and didn't change anything at all. Does he do it because he thinks that, one, his team is getting good results, and two, they're well organized and well into the game, that if we change something, the new player coming in, for example, might have the same, not the same impact of the guy that you took off. It's still very strange when you've got Foden, Mares, Alvarez on your bench, for example, not to, not to bring on any of them. But it's, it's fascinating. I'm going to write a column about this this week because he's kind of like the polar opposite to Simone Inzaghi who programs his changes ahead of time yeah. and uses I think all five changes he's used them almost every game he's played they've played this season um, personally I think the psychological blow of getting another goal um, and I would think so many of his players have been there for a long side I don't think you're necessarily destabilizing uh, the side by bringing in a Mares or, or a Foden or an Alvarez in, in that situation I think you're putting on a guy with fresh legs who can give a new look and force Real Madrid to adjust and then you go for the win because yeah. psychologically winning but maybe two, you don't want to go for the win because if you go for the win you might also expose yourself a bit more and concede one Possibly, but I mean, all you have to do is score one goal, and then you take it to extra time. And I mean, you have to. I there's obviously give and take, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, of course. Um, but but I'll tell you what, I guarantee you, one thousand percent. If he doesn't make any changes and Real Madrid nick a goal, it's going to be the Pep overthinking brigade again. Oh, why didn't he make a change late in the game? No question about it. 
Whenever Pep does something that is not predictable, he gets the overthinking label. Right? Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, is, which is wrong. You're right. But <laughs> I just don't think they were in such a dominant position in that second half to say, like, if he had brought on Mares or Foden, they would have gone and win the game. Because Grealish was still defending on the 90th minute, and so was Bernardo. And there's a lot of managers who will tell you, when things are working the way you want them to work, why would you change? And unless Grealish had said, I can't run anymore, I can't follow Carvajal up and down, if Bernardo had said the same, why would you, do you see what I mean? Why would, I know that fresh legs but, would have been an extra threat for, for Madrid, <laughs> but on the other hand, you're saying like, my team is doing exactly what I want it to do now, what would I change? I don't know. Um, I, 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 see, I see your point, but I also think it's a bit counterintuitive to the spirit of City, which is to go out and to win every game. Yeah, uh, yeah, I understand yeah, why course. he did it. I, I think if he did it, he did it because he thinks this gives me the best possible chance of winning this game right now, yeah. not because he was necessarily being conservative in not making those changes. Because yeah. he could have made defensive changes, you know, more defensive changes. All right, let's well, wrap it really. up. But, well, Who? What do you mean? Rico Lewis. I mean, some people suggested Rico Lewis. Yeah, I wouldn't, I, you I, can't. I, no, I wouldn't go that far. But, but even like if you bring in Foden, and you say, like, Grealish has been tussling with, with Carvajal the whole game or whatever, go and help out defensively. And if you see an opening, going forward, get forward, whatever. You know, you can do that. You still bring yeah, no, him in. Yeah, you can. Even, even Mares, if you want, is just fit. Mares will presumably give you more no, no. if he's fresh, right? I, just, I think he's tough to come on in a game like this with 10 minutes to go. I really do. Uh, I want to touch upon uh, um, two Real Madrid things. Uh, obviously, we, you, you mentioned Camavinga before and him coming inside, Modric going covering his wing. I, I really like that. We go back to this not natural left back. I'm asking you this because you know more about Camavinga than I do. And obviously, he's a guy who made his debut at 16. Mm. So he did not have a very long youth career. No. But I've heard people tell me that in his career, and I want you you can tell me, A, if this is true, and B, if it's relevant, that he started out as a striker. He played center back for a number of years and then made his debut in central midfield. Probably, I guess, was what, like four years ago now, right? I wonder, is this, like, okay, first of all, most professional footballers played striker when they were, like, six or seven yeah, because exactly. they're more technical. Which I think in his case is true. It's probably, but it's also kind of irrelevant, right? Yeah, completely. Did he play central defender I, at youth level that you've heard of? And so I saw him in the under-15, uh, like, uh, French League final, if you want, the, the equivalent of the academy competition that you have at that age. And he was already the best midfielder that I'd seen in a very long time. So he might right. have played centre-back before, I don't know, at under-12 level. But maybe because he's the kind of guy who became, because he's not very tall, but he became, maybe he grew up, he developed earlier, so maybe at 12, I don't know. I, don't know. I would find, the striker bit right. when he was in grassroots football, believable. for sure. They, they all played striker. Right? Yeah, yeah, but no, after that, I just think, and... Actually, David De Gea probably didn't. Yeah, I'm man. willing to bet David De Gea never played centre-forward in his career. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing that amazed me the most, and we don't, we don't have to go too long on Camavinga, but I will repeat it again, because I've said it already, left-back is a position that he doesn't like playing in, that prior to the World Cup in Qatar and the game where he played there against Tunisia, the third game of the group stage, had never ever played in that position before. And yes, he makes a mistake on the De Bruyne goal because his, his ball across the page that Rodri intercepts and then he leads to Grealish and the goal from De Bruyne. And I think he had, it was maybe not a bad ball to make, but it's the kind of ball that is a good ball to make if you make it, if right. you see what I mean. And he should have maybe not played the pass, not played the ball that way. But before that, not just on the goal, I just thought it was amazing. For a 20-year-old 
who really only has four months in that position and even still on and off because against Liverpool, for example, he played in midfield. Yeah. So it's just incredible. And in a position, again, that he doesn't like playing. And he says it openly. He says it publicly. Again, he was on French television after the game saying, no, no, this is not for me. This is not my position. I don't like it. I play there because the coach asked me and I want to help the team. So for him, that's why I tweeted during the game. Imagine if he liked playing there. It would be even better. <laughs> um, which brings us neatly to what we might see in the return leg from, from Real Madrid. Obviously, Eder Militao fit again. Yeah. Um, we're discussing Ardenia. I think 100% Militao starts. Okay, I'm not so sure. 100% Militao starts. The question is, is it Militao and Rudiger? Do you move Alaba to left back? I don't think. I think Militao and Rudiger, slightly clunky. I think it's going to be Militao and, and Alaba. Um, and you keep Kamavinga at left back. And you keep coming at a left back. I, I think that's... Yeah, that's, that works. That's what's going to happen, right? But, but you, my, my you were saying you prefer to see Rudiger no, than Militao? I'm just saying, after the performance that Alaba and Rudiger had in this first leg, in a way, if Carlo doesn't change it and keeps them in that second leg, you, there was, you could not say like, oh yeah, you know, Militao had to come back. And also Militao hasn't been the, great, the greatest in the last four to eight weeks when he played. I think Rudiger did a great job and you said, yeah, but you know, you don't want him to be sent off in the second leg. Okay, of course, he's always on the limit. Right. Of course, I get that. I just, I just think that, I, I just like this partnership between Alaba and Rudiger. I love Militao and I think he's going to be one of the best defenders in the world very, very soon. I just don't know. I think like, you know, it's like, like, I mean, again, we go back to the thing. Why would you change something that has worked so well already? That's all. Because it worked well in one game, in one circumstance, and you have somebody better coming in. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I think that's how Carlos no, no, is going to see it. But anyway, I am already getting excited. Me too. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, enough Real Madrid. Let's talk about the capital of Aww. world football. The entire universe focused under the water. How did you feel watching this? Did you feel like, and I know we're both going to the second leg, but how did you feel that first leg, like watching it? Were you I, so proud, so emotional? I was really proud of my city. I was proud. Not like, like, I, I, I was born, uh, you know, 300 meters from the San Siro, literally. So, and of course... It means more when you've experienced the high times, right? I, I, I've seen Milan play Inter in a Champions League derby before. We yeah. all have. Uh, we've both watched them, not a million years ago, but in this millennium. Yeah. Unlike when uh, United won their trouble, uh, which was in the last millennium. We've seen them win Champions League titles. Yeah. Uh, so this, this was really cool. Now, what I was not expecting was this sort of performance from Milan. Yeah. And I certainly was not expecting. I mean, within 20 minutes, when, when I saw... It's 2 now, and Benacer is injured. I thought, uh-oh. Like, game over. I, I mean, it was over pretty much before that anyway, right? I think when you don't have Rafael Leao playing for your team, this Milan team doesn't become ordinary because he's still a very good team, but he loses a lot of his potential and ability. And I'm sorry, 
you cannot play a semi-final of the Champions League with Krunic in midfield. It, it just doesn't, doesn't work. And I know he's been a good servant to the club, and, but he's too limited for me. When you play against a midfield of Barella in the form that he is, Miki and and Chalanoglu in the form that they are, when you even mm. leave the bros on the bench and you face Krunic and Benasse getting injured after 20, 20 minutes... Like, so I, I think... I think look, I mean, they only have so many options yeah, in, yeah, in, in, of in midfield. Right? The other, other guy was was the, I mean, I guess they had Pobega. They could have played him in, in midfield, and of course he came on yeah. later. I, I thought um, the idea was okay, we don't have Leal, so we're gonna outwork them, be solid, wait for Theo to do something. Theo, who yeah. I thought was Theo, I thought was was the worst player on the yeah, pitch. Yeah. Um, and we're gonna have we're, we're gonna match them for intensity in midfield. Our players are, are younger, they're more dynamic. Look at those old guys, Mkhitaryan, Shalanoglu, whatever. Um, and yeah, obviously Jekyll at the other end. Um, that was that was the plan. Yeah. And once Benasser went out, and I, I think this is a little bit underreported, Pioli had a big call to make. Right? Do I keep the same system, even though we're two goals down, mm-hmm. and stick with the original game plan, which would be is to outwork them, or do I go more attacking? Put on Messias and you know, obviously an attacking midfielder, and that totally, totally backfired. I know they didn't concede again, no, yeah, but they could have conceded I mean, a number Mike of goals. Magic great. Mike saved at least two goals, yeah. Inter hit the woodwork. Uh, for me, that was the call that backfired for, for Stefano Pioli, yeah, not that the options were great either in you know, in, in midfield to replace Benasser. And I, I don't know, I think the start of the game just bombs with all your plans anyway. It destroys everything that you worked on and said, this is the tactical plan, this is what we're going to do. Uh-oh, you're almost three goals because Stano Glue scores when he hit the post yeah. after 16 minutes and the rebound that Magic Mike saves, you're three down already. It's just, it's, it was just a crazy start of the game where they were far too open. I mean, you mentioned Theo, worst performance. Tomori was... Especially in the first half. The, sorry, the Lautaro before the penalty, the little move to put him oh. on his backside. Simon Kier, who's been so experienced yeah. and whatever, leading to that, uh, leading to, to but, that but situation. But Inter Milan is a, have a better squad, right? You agree to that than Milan, especially when Leao is out. Look at look at bringing Origi against bringing Lukaku on. <laughs> so it's funny you mentioned Kozovic and yeah, no, no, they, they they have a better squad. I have to say about bringing on Divock Origi. Divock Origi as a winger. And the way he played in that game, I thought actually contributed. Not too the team. bad, yeah. I never want to see him play center forward for Milan nah, ever for again. Sure. But uh, as a winger works uh, on the penalty, I thought this was uh, the penalty which was given yeah. and then overturned. Yeah, um, I found myself kind of I don't know wanting to throw things at some of the uh, punditry I saw on television. Uh, but was that a penalty? Should was it the I right call? I don't think so. I okay. thought it's a great the fall from Lautaro. No, I'm just saying that he, he dived. I'm just saying that the way he fell was really magnificent. And I think that's what made the call for the referee who was in regret position. Then once you saw against on the replay, I think it was the right call to, to do it that way. So the referee, Hilmanzano, I thought was really good Me for the way letting the, the game yeah, flow yeah. and so on. Uh, he got to the right decision in the end. I have to say this. This really makes my blood boil. They had a debate on one of the television stations that I watched about whether VAR had the right to intervene or not, whether it was clear and obvious. First of all, why don't you focus on the thing? Was the call correct in the end? <laughs> yes, it was. Second of all, and I remind everybody, especially those ex-refs who get paid on television and go and talk about it, uh, it depends 
on the conversation between the referee and the VAR. If the referee doesn't feel that he's had a, a clear view of it, mm. and I suspect what probably happened in this case, the referee, because it looked like a penalty in real time, yeah. the, ref, you know, the VAR said, what did you see? And the referee said, oh, feet got tangled. And VAR probably said, no, they didn't. You might want to look at yeah, you look you at want this to again. See it again. Yeah. And if that's what happened, I have no problem. This is where VAR worked. This is where it worked well. Don't make it about. Don't be a freaking loser. And make it about. Well, <laughs> VAR shouldn't have had the right to intervene. Seriously, get a freaking life. If I'm wrong, tell no, me I'm wrong. No, 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 you're right. I just love how passionate you were about this. And but then, you realize how had... twisted it is if we get into the question about, not about whether a call in yeah, a Champions League semifinal is really important is correct or not, yeah, yeah, but about whether VR had the right to intervene. And yeah. then they get it wrong. As well, they got it wrong. I, I think this is, where, this is where I've got an issue as well. Um, as well with it. Magic Mike felt that Lautaro should have been booked for diving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's an argument. I, I mean, that's why I shouted at my TV as well. I mean, not shouted, but I said, okay, you've overturned it. Now, the yellow card for Kier was obviously cancelled. But I think, I don't think it was a dive per se. You know, like the, the kind of dive that we can right. see sometimes where you get So he should not have been booked. No, but I, but I can see Magic Mike's point, though. I can okay. see his point, but he's wrong. Yeah, yeah, I think he's Not right. as wrong as some of those Muppets that we see, but he's wrong on yeah. this one. All right, just want to clear up. No. Um, I feel like I want to take this opportunity to, we've talked about Milan and what went wrong, but I think, can we give a little bit of credit to Simone Inzaghi? Oh, and because there's nobody, I don't know that there is a manager of, of a top club who, who gets so much stick. Part of it, he brings it upon himself because of the way he talks and he's meek and he looks kind of goofy yeah. and dorky. Um, but they hit the results. Let's not forget, this is a club which could be insolvent, you know, in six months' time, right? <laughs> this is a club yeah. where he's competing in a certain way at a high level with a bunch of older players getting into different things. I mean, Henrik Mkhitaryan has always been an attacking midfielder. Before that, he was a winger, right? Yeah. And then you're asking him to play in a playmaking position. Shalanoglu as well, right? Yeah, yeah. To get these guys yeah. to go and to work and to compete in midfield, especially when they're older, not easy. No, not easy at all, you're right. And I mean, collectively, they, they were, they're very strong. We, we mentioned many times that even when they went through kind of a bad patch in the league, they were still creating chances and it was just going their ways. But there was not really much to worry. It's just that when... And especially when Milan, on the other hand, clearly looked like they, the pressure got to them a bit. It's a huge occasion. It's a huge occasion, of course. And that this inter-team collectively, even if Dumfries maybe uh, certainly was not as good as Di Marco on the other side, but when they play so well like that, it's just, I think it's just a joy to watch. And it deserves a lot of credit for someone who could have been sacked at Christmas or certainly was under a lot of pressure at the, at the turn of the year. Uh, I think it's amazing to see how they turn things around and, and to see that they quite close to a Champions League final again, you know, it's, it's, I think it's amazing. And, and again, I think the way he's managed his squad has been very clever, especially in the last few weeks. I mean, Jaco said after the game, you know, I feel, I, feel, I feel really fresh. He's 37. And by the way, I think we've said it before, but once he retires, they need to take his body and his brains and just see what's going on in there to, to have more Jaco in the future because it's just incredible to watch. Of course, there's the goal, but the second goal, the Mkhitaryan one, 
the way he makes his run to kind of free all that space for Mkhitaryan to run into once DiMarco has, play, has kind of squared the ball is just to show to all the kids who play that position. So on that point, um, there's another thing that sets Inter apart is they play with two strikers, which help me out here. Is there another top team that regularly plays with two strikers? No, regularly, no. I mean, you could say, you know, in the teams that are in the top four of each league, that Newcastle sometimes is not the level of Inter, but right. I just mean like Callum Wilson and, and Alexander Isak. But apart from that, everybody hey, has just a lone striker. Everybody else is some version much, yeah. of 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1. Now, the reason I think that's interesting is it's counterintuitive. I think it gives them an edge because opposing defenses aren't accustomed to it. And you get situations like we saw there on on the second goal where Jekyll takes a defender with him, but equally there's another Lautaro is there too, taking the other defender. Exactly. And that is what opens yeah, up yeah. the space. Now, you can't do that if there's just one dude in the middle. Yeah. You know, I, I, I kind of, you know, everybody does things one way. And so, like, well, we can do what other people do and try to do it better, or we can try and do something different. And and that's what Inzaghi does. He, um, I think that's a credit for him. The other thing that he does is his substitutions. Essentially, almost every game, he changes the wing backs yeah. and he changes the strikers. Almost every almost almost every game, he uses. I think there's few managers who have realized and adapted to the five uh, changes. Um, you know, others use the five substitutions, like, well, Monday night, our, our pal did Zadby, 4-0 yeah. down at halftime, he's like, uh-oh, let me make four changes, right? Like people, you, but he does it strategically. The players know ahead of time. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, very few of, of, of Inter's four strikers who are all very different yeah, among yeah. them, right? And Dzeko, uh, Lukaku, Lautaro, and, and Correa, um, they have different skill sets. You're giving them different looks. You bring somebody in fresh with 30 minutes to go. It's an adjustment that the defender has to make. Um, I think people can learn. Inzaghi's far from perfect. Yeah. His team has many flaws, whatever. But I think when you talk about, I hate that word, marginal gains, trying to get an edge, I think there's still a lot that, that, that teams can do in terms of how do I exploit the five subs? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, you know, I feel about this. It's not just the thing about oh, the five substitutions favor the bigger teams because you know, look, City have you know Foden and Mares and whatever else on the bench. It's not that simple. No, no, right? no definitely. It's more about the difference between your starter yeah. and the guy you bring in and what that guy can offer you in uh, in thirty yeah. minutes. And to be fair, just to finish, I, I wonder if. If purely, especially once we, that once Leao was definitely ruled out for this game, if maybe going to a back three and we saw Milan doing it before, and you've always said this has to be temporary because this is not yeah. this is not a team to play like that. But maybe for that game, maybe I mean it's, easy, it's very easy for us to say now, but maybe for that game it might not have been a bad idea to just match up yeah. with what Inter we knew we we're going to offer and how they were going to set up. And I mean, we will never know. It's easy. But. You know, you know, you talk about just for that game. I certainly where it would have helped them was on the set piece because it, if you look, it ends up with Kier marking Lautaro, mm. who's small, and Calabria, who's small, yeah. marking Jekyll, who's yeah. big. Now I know Bastoni and Acerbi were up there too, but you know, I'm assuming Tomori had picked up one of them or or, yeah, or whatever. So and it is kind of a, a, a zonal system, but. Clearly, that cannot be the plan. And yeah. if you look at Checo, doesn't even jump. He just uses. Calabria doesn't even look at the ball. 
But Calabria, I think, tries to move him or something. But, like, yeah. dude, the guy outweighs you by, like, 30 kilos. Like, you're <laughs> not going to be able to do it. And then he just puts out the big leg and, and, yeah. and turns it into into the back of the net. So, certainly, I think that's something Milan need to uh, yeah. uh, work on ahead of the second round. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, enough San Cito. How can I say enough San Cito? There's never enough San Cito, but here's some quick hits instead. Let's go, guys. Jules, we haven't talked about Messi enough lately. Uh, he was supposed to get a two-week ban. It's now just one week. Uh, has his fine been reduced too? And how are his teammates taking it? So, yeah, back after one week after he apologized, and I think the club really appreciated the apologies, uh, or the apology. Uh, so back after one week, be available at... For the for the game at the weekend against Ajaccio, if if uh, the manager wants him, the fine is the same though. I mean, okay. it's, you, you I know. mean it's a lot, but it's one point six million. But for Messi, it's nothing. Let's be honest here. Uh, and for his teammates, I think they were quite cross when he missed training and when he didn't show up. I think now they're happy that he's uh, back. So okay, can I make a bold prediction? Yeah, you know why the club? I think the club are trolling Messi. I think they brought him back because obviously they play at home, and at home recently they've always lost and screwed up the title and gotten a bunch of abuse from the from the fans. I think they brought him back so that he can be he can be there, be on the pitch when they lose again to a Jack Seal. Imagine, and, I mean, and he gets nah, abused. Nah. No, no, I, the, honestly, the ultras, the ultras won't be there. So the, the reception will. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, Gab, speaking of a return to Barcelona, Pep Guardiola says. I'm sure Messi will do everything he can to make it happen, and so will Johan Laporta. So, first of all, it doesn't matter what Pep says. Um, he gets asked the question, this is what I would answer if I were Pep. Yeah. I don't blame him for saying that. Of course. Uh, I think Pep knows that if this was true, if they were both doing everything that they could, Messi would go there and play for a minimum salary. And you know, make what your your, your friend Lamine Yamal or whatever his name is makes. Uh, not gonna happen. So let's just move on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's probably not the way you want to celebrate an imminent title. But Jules, in addition to the messy mess, yeah, Neymar messy is reportedly mess. getting ready to leave. Although again, where, where's he gonna go? Real Madrid reportedly have not given up on Mbappe, and one of PSG's leading ultras groups says they will suspend their activities until next season. A lot to unpack there. That's right. Let's start with with Neymar, who for a long time didn't want to leave uh, but now he's considering leaving indeed if there's a good offer on the table from that, Saudi Arabia yeah well I mean, this, <laughs> he's probably the only one now he would rather he would, he, he would not go to Saudi Arabia anyway he would stay in Paris if that was the case he would like to come to England and play in the Premier League uh-huh. which but let's be honest here they're the only league but they're the only clubs who can afford him now you We'll have to pay a transfer fee or you can have him on loan with an option to buy. I think PSG would be very happy to look at any ways of making this possible. But he still earns 40 million a year. Right. All, so. all these people who want to who want to have an experience elsewhere make too much money, take a freaking pay cut. Yeah. And then you can do, then, then you know, can do I was not told. I found out Kieran Trippier took a pay cut apparently yeah, when he went to Newcastle. Exactly. exactly. For the ultras, they're not happy with the club, with Nasser Al Khalaifi, they don't feel respected. So until the end of the season, they're not going to do anything. Uh, and for Kylian and Real Madrid, he's not going to move this summer. He will be there next season. Even if that's the last year on his contract, there's no way the club will sell him this summer anyway. 
All right. So here we go. Reports in England suggest that the Rain Group, you know, the group that is handling the sale of Manchester United, have named Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who's one of the, the contenders, as the preferred, preferred bidder. Gab, does, is that any is that important? Does, does no, it's not important. It's stupid. It's just it's just to keep this this thing in the air. It doesn't mean anything because there's only two bidders. It doesn't matter who the rain group prefers. It's not their club. The Glazers will decide. This is attractive, obviously, because if su- supposedly Joel and Avram want to stay involved, and so uh, Sir Jim wouldn't be taking over the whole club, and so for a period of time, at least, they would still be involved. Although, if they want to be involved so much, they can just have enough money. They can go and buy yep. a season ticket at Old Trafford. Uh, no, this is this is pretty irrelevant. Uh, and again, I think increasingly <clears throat> there is the other track, the one where the Glazers borrow money mm-hmm. from from different groups. I think that's still very much in play. This story's going to rumble on. And yeah. like I said, deadlines, preferred bidders, doesn't matter. <laughs> Sergio Busquets won't be returning to Barcelona next year. Jules, on the show last night, we did a bunch of tributes as if he were retiring, which kind of slightly bugged me no, and uh, certainly bugged Craig Burley. Uh, he hasn't... <laughs> As you know, he, gets yes, angry. he hasn't indicated uh, that he's retiring. He might be back. No, yeah. And, of course, there's rumors that he could be headed to Saudi because, obviously, that really moves the needle commercially. And what an exciting player to watch. Yeah, one last big paycheck for Sergio Busquets. I mean, one incredible career at Barcelona he had. From a little boy at the Masia to winning pretty much everything. I think this would be the ninth La Liga title, the three Champions League, etc. And we're not going to go again about his position and how he played right. and, and, in a way just changed the dynamic in terms of holding midfielders like him. I don't know where he's going to go, if it's into Miami, MLS, or somewhere in Paris Saudi Saint-Germain. Arabia. No, I think he's done in <laughs> Europe. And to be fair, I don't think he would want to play for another club in Europe anyway. So good luck to him, whatever he does, and if that big paycheck comes. But yeah, I think, I think it was time for him to move from Barcelona, and I think maybe it could have been earlier. Because his his level at, and his impact are clearly also the way Barcelona play doesn't suit him exactly. Uh, but still, you know, good luck to replace him. That was a stinker from Milan on Wednesday night. We explained that at length. But there was one really really good news of the page. Gab is that the Rafael Leao deal, sorry, new deal extension is done up to 2028. That's right. Um, so he's gonna he's gonna end up earning um, round about. Uh, 10 million euros gross a year, which works out to just under 200 grand. Uh, if you're thinking in UK weekly terms, 2 million euro uh, signing bonus, um, release clause up to 150 million euros, which I think is is important because it gives him an out. Suggests also why he took and a little bit less money. And it's a fair reflection money. of his talent. Definitely a fair reflection. Um, and I think what really moved the needle on this, and, and Maldini spoke about this, is they were able to resolve the issue for now that he's not going to be liable in the yeah. dispute between Sporting and uh, and Leo. Jules, I'll just give you all the Saudi questions today. The Times are reporting that uh, Hugo Lloris, who's got a year left on his contract, yeah. has received an offer worth fifteen million pounds a season from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. What else? Clearly, uh, the Saudis want to attract a lot of kind of European superstars, if you want, because they've they've been mentioning Sergio Ramos as well and Luka Modric. Players right. like that who are either at the end of their contract this summer or just with one year left and offering huge money to kind of do what Qatar did all those years ago. Remember when uh, the old stars used to go there? I, Knowing Hugo, I doubt he will go, but, but maybe. I mean, it's, again, it's a, it's a huge paycheck, the last right. one in his career. Uh, but I'd be surprised if he went. If, if he does go, I, 
I can guarantee you he won't get done for a drink driving in uh, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah. sorry, sorry, Hugo, we love you. Uh, Juventus will find out whether their 15 points penalty will be reinstated fully or only part. On May 22nd, Gab, how is he looking for them? It's so difficult to predict. I, I think, so essentially for those, you know, the, the, the appeals court basically sent it back down to the court where it was at before saying like when you gave them the 15-point penalty, you didn't explain why. So they're going to get other judges to, to look at it. I think pretty much anything's on the table. I think it's more likely they will get a lesser points penalty uh, if they do get a points penalty. And, of course, they can still appeal it, which is going to totally screw up the end of the season. But, hey, you know, welcome to the madhouse. Um, <laughs> other important date for you fans on your calendar, uh, October 26th is when uh, uh, the preliminary hearing in their criminal case That's right. um, begins. It's not over yet. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. By it's far. far from over. And then they have the other case with the bonuses. And, yeah, no, it's, it's going to go on a while. Ali Khan gave a long interview to Build. He said that $150 million for a seaman is a big risk. But weirdly, when asked about Colomani and Harry Kane, he says, <laughs> no, they're under contract with other clubs. I'm not uh, talking about them. Good, I don't get this. Is the seaman not under contract? No, it's just that they can't, they're going to go and sign him. Whereas I think they're going to go for, for Kane and, and Colomani. So you don't care about Naples. <laughs> you can say anything you want because you're not going to have to deal with them in the summer of Aussie, man. Oh, However... Man. Kane and Colomani are far are your target, so don't upset anybody. Don't talk about them. Well done, Oliver Kahn. Hey, how to win friends and influence yeah, exactly. people, right? Gav, I'm dying to talk more about PSG, of course, especially <laughs> negative things. What did Jose Mourinho say when he was asked about reports linking him to my team? <laughs> he said, well, uh, if they're looking for me, they couldn't find me because nobody's been in touch. Uh, now, I think just as playing a long game here obviously because obviously his future at Roma is uncertain yeah. whether he gets an extension uh, or not and so he doesn't come out and say oh no I'm happy at Roma blah 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 no he says like oh well they couldn't find me so and we know obviously it's not hard to find Jose Mourinho yeah. so uh, make of that what you will Mason Mount is still just over a year away from free agency at Chelsea, but Mauricio Pochettino, who everybody is convinced is on his way to Stamford Bridge, <laughs> but no, is supposedly, well, um, you know, facts change, opinions change, is supposedly a big fan. Jules, how do you see this ending up? I see him staying. I see him working really well with Poch. I think this is a profile that Poch really likes. I think he's been, and rightly so, he's waiting to see who's coming in. And surely, surely we will find out soon now. Uh, and I think that will have a big impact on whether he wants to go or not, if he signs a new deal or not, etc., etc. But I think the Mount Pochettino partnership could work really well here. Yeah, Mount and Kunku and you know the rest of the attacking midfield. Uh, and Kunku and Mount are not the same players at all. No, no, no it's just I'm, I'm like I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by how all these pieces are fascinated. It's happen. not going to be easy to fit them all together. Uh -huh. But you know, I think I, I think it would be crazy for Chelsea to let Mason Mount go. Oh, I I agree with you there. It's crazy. He's had a bad season, but it's crazy that yeah. he's even in this situation. Yeah, completely. Atalanta have been fined, and the stand from which the abuse of Dusan Vlaovic at the weekend came will be closed for one game. Gab, were you expecting more? Should it have been more? I think it was the first time this season that this happened with Atalanta until they applied the rules. They're closing for one game. It's going to be against Verona with whom they have a big rivalry. I, I hope the message goes through. Uh, what I'm expecting more from is from Atalanta. Uh, Luca Percassi was, was in the U.S. I believe, I'm assuming he's going to do it to visit Stephen Paliuca, who's the other yeah. co-owner. I'm hoping a light bulb goes off and says, we need to actually say something, not just like not appeal this. Yeah. We need to say something. We need to do something. If you don't have cameras like, like you with facial recognition, you know, it's like the Chinese state big brother watching you <laughs> and you can't chuck out individuals, fine. But do something symbolic. Do something meaningful. Morcon. 
He says, Thomas Tuchel's pre-match <laughs> team talks are so inspirational, he feels like he wants to run out on the pitch as well, Jules. I mean, and I tell you what, probably his age, he'd be better than Jan Sommer. Um, maybe, yeah. yeah. That's for true. I mean, Oliver Kahn is not really the kind of, uh, you know, he does talk about feelings. This is not what he does. So for him to, to speak like that, I'm like, I was, wow, I was reading it. I was like, Really? <laughs> He goes like, oh, it's so inspirational, it's so this, it's so that. Okay, well, he hasn't inspired, he hasn't really worked out so well on the pitch. It's also weird, I understand you, you got to double down on Tuchel, right? Obviously, it's your choice and back him. Yeah. But even what made Tuchel great in the past, I don't think, certainly when he was at Chelsea, I don't remember speaking to players and saying like, oh, Tuchel is so inspirational. Not even in Paris, maybe it's the language thing, I don't know. I don't know. They've always said, like, yo, he's a genius and whatever and his tactics, but it was never, like, chest-thumping yeah, inspiration. But whatever. Prosecutors in Brazil have charged 16 people, including seven professional footballers, in a betting-related scandal. Gab, they're not accused of fixing, of fixing games, sorry, but it's all about spot betting. Yeah, and this is something which I think they should take a, a look at. It's, it's things like, you know, uh, will this player receive a yellow card? When will the first yellow card be? We've been through it here in England. Players who are stupid think that they can do this and, and, and get away with it. Yeah. I, I think it's... To me, this isn't even betting. Um, to, to, to me, this is... This, this is you, you're really a dork if you go and you, you make these bets. And uh, A man, Eduardo Bauerman, according to the court filings, who's a defender at Santos, uh, supposedly he took 10 grand to get a yellow card in a game. It's not stuff that... So it undermines the league, obviously needs to be dealt with, and it's yeah. being dealt with criminally. doesn't admire, uh, undermine kind of the whole sanctity of the league. Uh, but I'm glad, you know, they've, they've only had uh, betting on professional football in Brazil since 2018, I believe. So I think they're still working things out in terms of yeah. oversight and, uh, and discipline. Let's talk Women's Super League here in England. Chelsea beat Leicester 6-0 and are now a single point behind Manchester United with a game in hand. Jules, how's it looking for you? You're on the Emma bandwagon, aren't you? I mean, it's looking good for them. Uh, I would have rather Arsenal to win it, of course, but, but it's looking good for them. The game in hand is against West Ham away. Which, is that good or bad? No, I think it's okay. It's, yeah, it's good. They should win that one. Then the big one is at home to, to Arsenal, which is the, the penultimate. It's penultimate. Penultimate, second to last. Second to last. Uh, game of the season for them. In what has been an incredible season. I know we've mentioned it a little bit briefly in, in a few shows ago. But the race for the title with Arsenal at some point, with uh, Manchester United, with City doing really well as well domestically. And Chelsea, of course, at some point were in for trouble. Now it's only a, only a double. It'd still be great. Um, so, I mean, good luck to them. They certainly look in impressive form right now. Here's a question. So there's 12 teams in the Women's Super League, right? Which means that they play each other home and away and they end up playing 22 games in a season. Yeah. I'm assuming there's only 12 teams because they don't, if they had 18 teams or 16 teams, it would dilute the standard, fair enough. Yeah, there's a second division, but, but where you go up and down, of which course. Which I'm assuming is substantially worse, yeah, otherwise yeah, yeah. they'd have this. But why don't they play more games? Like, why don't they, say, play, play each other three times, for example, and have a 33-game season? If, if they're getting decent crowds now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, question. it's not like the know. fixture list is so congested. They all go out early, the English teams, in the Champions League anyway, right? <laughs> not really. No, not forever. But yeah, but um, that's a good, it's a good point. I, yeah, I don't know. When we talk about the financial sustainability of women's football, like, why not play more? Right? Yeah. Just wondering, no. just checking it out there. The Greek Cup final between AK Athens and PAOK is due to be played on May 24th, Gab. It's supposed to be played abroad because of the fear of crop problems and everything, but they don't have a confirmed venue yet. What's going on? 
Uh, yeah, this is a uh, this, this is I mean, weird one. It's pretty embarrassing. I, I don't think you should ever have a cup final abroad, especially because you decide this ahead of time. I know there was violence last year. Like you know, you play league games. You can police those to some degree. Yeah. Sure, you can police a cup final too. Um, it would be cool if they played it abroad. Maybe in maybe in Melbourne. That was one of the mooted suggestions. Where there's a giant oh, Greek in community. London. There's a big Greek community in London as in well. New York City. There's a big Greek of community course. there too. Um, but they don't have a confirmed venue. I'm assuming they need to figure something out. I think it would be horrendous if they played this behind uh, closed doors. Yeah. Dan Olmo has a year left on his contract with Leipzig and shockingly is being linked with a move away. Just could they lose Nkunku and Danny Olmo in the same summer? I think they will, Gab. I think they will. I think they will have to. That's the thing. Does the it mean they're going away and crawling back into their holes never to be seen again? <laughs> oh, but the Nkunku deal was done a long time ago. Yeah. We said that. I think for Danny Olmo, they, they tried to convince him to extend and to stay a bit longer. He's, if you remember, he arrived from Zagreb quite young there. And, and I think he's now established himself as a really good player that could easily find a club that is going to spend, I don't know, between 30 and 40 million, you would think, for Danny Olmo. Maybe Which a bit I think less, is good value. It's good value considering yeah. he's on maybe a bit less. Yeah, yeah no, well, that's because he's got a year left. He goes but. on a year left. Chelsea and Barcelona need more wingers, right? So <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> and I know he's a bit injury prone, certainly in the last couple of seasons, but I would take Danny Olmo. Yeah, I, I'm a phenomenal player, I think. Angel Di Maria is a free agent this summer at Juve and says that he would love to sign a new deal and stay in Turin. Gab, I think I know what you're going to say. Yes, which is <laughs> Adios, Angel, cuídate bien. Uh, why, why can't he go to Saudi Arabia? Yeah, but like, I think they're going to try to. Why do the good ones go to Saudi no, Arabia no, no, and the no, bad no. ones have to stick around? Please, take I'm, Paredes as well, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, no, take your friend Paredes. And, you know, he already has Messi's trophies, some of them, which he somehow are uh, in his house. Yeah, they can go together. But honestly, this guy, this guy, I think he started 14 games. He's played, started fewer games this season than he did in the six years previously that he was at Paris Saint-Germain when he started very few games because there's always something wrong with him. There's always something up with him. Enough. You're 35. They're paying you enough. Honestly, this shouldn't even be contemplated. Juve, come to your senses. I tell you what, if Cristiano Giuntoli comes, as people hope, yeah. uh, all this nonsense, he's already talking about sustainability, blah, 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 youth. This is the last thing you need. And I'm not saying he's a bad person. He's a phenomenal footballer. But... Clearly, he has his priorities. He's not a fit at the club. Don't even contemplate this. Don't tell me how much you love Turin and then and, and La Mole and then Giulio Cesare and Piazza Giulio Cesare, all this stuff. Enough. And how much your family loves living in Turin, which, you know, nice city. But, dude, you moved from Paris. Come yeah, on, yeah. But whatever. But I suppose you also lived in Manchester before. So I guess things even out. Maybe it reminds <laughs> you of Manchester, uh, the climate. I don't know. Uh, enough. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang isn't playing much for Chelsea these days, no. so he found time to go to Gabon which, and meet the president who asked him to unretire from international duty. Tools? So two things here. I mean, I've never been called by my president to come and see him, so I don't know, I don't know if you have to, if you feel like, can we do it on Zoom, or do you actually physically need to go to see the president? But from the pictures I saw, he's in the room with another dude who I yeah, assume no, so he's the president. Clearly, no, no, clearly felt like he had to go instead of doing it on Zoom from his uh, kitchen. I... Don't tell me this could not have waited for the end of the season. I suspect... Why? Well, he's got nothing else to do. But I don't think it's a good look out. I really don't think it's a good So, I guess they had a day off, maybe. Going to Gabon on your day off. Wait, Messi can go so, to Saudi Arabia? But well, no, it's not a good idea. But, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think right now he's in any, any, anybody's good books. 
And he's still, has, he's still under contract for Chelsea, which, by the way, this summer is going to be a bit of a, of a headache. You I should just, send a bill to Tuchel. I, mean, I, don't, I, 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 don't, I don't know I, what to say anymore about that guy. Actually, Tuchel worked with him before. He's yeah. a center forward. Bayern need a center forward. Why not? No, I'm <laughs> yeah. just kidding. I don't want to give you any ideas. But I, I will say this about Aubameyang. For obviously he's Gabon international. I didn't realize this. He's played like 70 times for, for Gabon. And the reason I, I point this out is Aubameyang's dad was obviously a professional footballer yeah, as well. For, he was a Gabon captain. He didn't grow up in Gabon. He no. obviously grew up in, in Milan, I presume before that in France. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. He's never actually lived there, as far as I know. No. To have that allegiance to your country, which, by the way, Gabon, not a major footballing. It's not like he's the dude's Nigerian where, like, you yeah, know, yeah, you're yeah. competing for... Uh, I know they've had some success in the Cup of Nations, but, I mean, I think that reflects really well for him. He's somebody who clearly has a good no. sense of his roots. I, I know we've made so much fun of him. We've been so critical of him. But I think that part of it, I think, really reflects well in him. Yeah. Gareth Bale's agent Jonathan Barnett says that he doesn't want to play football anymore and therefore won't be joining Wrexham Jonathan Barnett doesn't want to play football anymore no, I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah look I, I think this whole story was never a serious story to begin with oh, uh, I gave it. Wrexham more publicity hey look you know we're team players at the company <laughs> you know they're available at Disney Plus you can but this is Wrexham yeah. uh, this whole thing about he doesn't want to play football anymore if I were unkind I would say that he kind of said that, certainly club football, many sure. years ago. We kind of got that sense. So, yeah, like, nice story. Draw a line under it. Gareth Bale, next chapter. Liverpool's throwing coach, Thomas Gronemark, a close friend of Steve Nichol, yeah. is leaving the club after five years. Jules, not everybody liked the idea of a throwing coach when he was appointed. No, I still have some people now and again who sent me again that video clip from the ESPN FC show where me and Stevie strongly disagreed. <laughs> on the benefit of having a throw-in coach like, like Thomas in the team because it was one evening after a Liverpool game where they scored a goal after a, a throw-in move that they clearly worked on before and I said, great, you see all the work that they do at, on throw-ins <laughs> at training and Steve was like, wow, this is crazy, you don't need a coach like that, what, what, what next? This set-piece coach? When I said, Stevie, you've got a coach for goalkeepers, for strikers, for defenders, for set-pieces, why not for throw-ins? I think... Thomas Grunmark and more and more clubs now do uh, using him or people like him, uh, and I think he's good. It's again small things in a game that can make the game one for you. One hundred percent agree. I remember years ago, uh, I think Brentford hired a, a kicking coach yeah, just to try to you know improve your improve actual players' techniques because you know what you can improve as you exactly. get older. Bebeto and Romario were best friends uh, in leading Brazil to the 1994 World Cup win, if you remember, and we all remember. Their baby rocking celebrations, of course. But now, Gab, they've fallen out badly. Yeah, and it's politics getting in the oh, way. You know, wow. in their polarized times, we've had a lot of people saying that, you know, they've lost friends and fallen with family members because they have different politics and divisions. Guess what? Footballers are human beings, too. It happened to them, too. Romario recently calling Bebeto a traitor. Oh, what? Selfish. Uh, Romario, obviously involved directly in politics, um... I think he would probably describe himself as center-right, although he did support Bolsonaro. Uh, Bebeto, and on the other hand, starting out originally politically, I think he was with Romario, and then coming out and Me saying, yeah. you know what, I'm a Lula guy, uh, which is more center-left, yeah. or, or even left. So uh, I guess these people are human. Oh, what what is interesting shame, is, though. this is like a Brazilian thing. We don't often hear like 
in Europe of, you know, ex-footballers openly discussing their political views. No, but, true. you know, good for them. I, yeah. I, I kind of feel like, you know, Romario's given up a lot of time and stuff with his yeah, political Yeah, is he a career. senator or a deputy now? He certainly was a senator yeah. at some point. So he is trying to use his fame to give something back, whether you agree with him and his politics or not. Uh, Jules, that brings us to an end. Oh man. But we're going to be back on Monday because yes. it's a huge weekend in the Premier League. And you heard it here first. Jules says City <laughs> will drop points at uh, 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 at Goodison against Everton and the mighty Sean Dyche. Until then, love the game, love your neighbor, love yourself. <laughs> <laughs>